that all of us are fallen and have sinned. And without the grace that you have shown us through the gospel truth and your son Jesus, uh, we have no hope. We have no future. But we understand that as we repent of our sins and put our trust and faith in you, that we can, in fact, spend that eternity with you. And so let's be reminded of that great love this morning as we prepare to hear the message. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can remain standing as I introduce our guest speaker. It's Cody Grease. Most of you know Cody. He's a graduate of Nebraska Christian Schools. Living down in Lincoln, is in a school and is a part of Heritage Bible Church where Dustin Rogers has brought him along for the ride. And Dustin's been working with Cody. And so let's greet Cody Grease back. Let's greet him back. Well, good morning. This is a definite first for me. I'm going to move this back a little bit so I can see more people. It's good to be here this morning. Great, great blessing and privilege to me. Not, not too many years ago, I sat where you guys are sitting. So, yeah, like he said, for those of you who don't know me, and most of you probably do. I see a lot of familiar faces. My name is Cody Grease. I'm a senior at the University of Nebraska studying agricultural economics, and I'll graduate in May. But I'm doing an internship at Heritage Bible Church with uh, a good friend, Dustin Rogers. Um, awesome dude. So I've been up to quite a few things. Just got back from Romania on a missions trip a couple weeks ago. That was a great time. And um, I'll head out to Tanzania, Africa in a month for a, a nonprofit that I founded and run. You can check that out a little bit if you want at cultivateglobal.net. Um, see what I've been working on, what I've been up to. But I'm really excited to jump into Mark 14 this morning, kind of catch up where you guys are at and uh, give you my shot at teaching you. What, what I've learned. Um, before we start, let's uh, bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you um, just for the gift of life. And I pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word, that uh, the spirit would lead and the spirit would speak and use me as a vessel. God, I pray that we'd have some minds open to what you are trying to teach us here this morning. Pray that everything we do would honor and glorify you. And uh, God, you are so good. And we thank you for the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So before we start, I want to ask you guys a question. Keep this in mind. Obviously, this doesn't move. That's okay. Keep this in mind. Have you ever been betrayed? felt like or has anyone ever turned their back on you someone you're close to someone you felt like they'd never do that to me and this can come and look in many different ways but I want you to think about that or imagine that scenario with me this morning what are you thinking what are you feeling in that instant my guess is in that moment, you would probably not have that person's back in that moment if it came down to it. In our 
sinful human nature, it's just not what we do. If someone turns their back on us, we're kind of like, forget about them, right? So as we move forward, I want you to keep that all in mind. So turn with me to Mark 14. Our main passage is Mark 14, 43 through 52. Go ahead and stay there in your Bibles as I uh, review for some of you, or actually all of you, um, kind of what we've gone through in Mark 14, what someone has already taught to you. I think there's five key moments in Mark 14 alone that lead up to this particular passage that we're going to focus on this morning. Starting in Mark 14, 3 through 5, we see a moment where Judas is angry that Jesus is extravagantly worshipped. See, this is a scenario where Mary pours an alabaster flask of ointment over Jesus' head. And we know from the Gospel of John that Judas asks, why was this wasted like this when it could be sold and given to the poor? But we know that this was purely out of selfish desire and not out of a heart for a poor, as Judas would want you to believe. So he's angry that Jesus is extravagantly worshipped. And in Mark 14, 10 through 11, we see a moment where Judas seeks out a deal with the chief priests. Again, he's not presented with the opportunity. It's not like they come to him and he's weighing the options and no, he seeks them out a moment to betray Jesus. A premeditated plan to betray God himself for what we now know is the price of a slave. That's how much he was paid. Not much. Small amount. Then Mark 18, or 14, 18 through 21 we see here while the disciples are reclining at the table before the Last Supper, this is the moment where Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal. Now we know at this time the betrayal was already in progress. It was already in motion. And verse 19 shows us how great of a deceiver Judas is. This is where it says they all went around the table asking Jesus, is it I? He said, one of you will betray me. They have no clue who it is. They say, is it I? Imagine that scenario. Judas already in the motion of betrayal. It's already in progress. Looking Jesus in the eyes and saying, Lord, is it I? That's how great of a deceiver he was. He fooled them all. Not Jesus, but he fooled the rest of them. We see a cross-reference to that in John 13, 21 through 30. And why I bring this up is this account gives this scenario of the Last Supper more detail. After Jesus says, one of you will betray me, it says, Peter then signals over to John, who was sitting to the left of Jesus, and says, ask him who it is. He says, ask him who it is. And John leans over and says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus says, it is he who I hand this dipped morsel of bread to. And we know that he handed it to Judas in verse 27 of John 13 says, Then after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Satan entered into him. From that moment on, the events 
occurring after that, Judas was possessed by Satan himself. And then Jesus says to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Brings us to Mark 14, 26-31, where Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal. This is where Peter famously says, even though they all fall away, I will not. I, if I must die with you, I will de not deny you. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the rest of the disciples then repeat the latter statement, and that's important. They all say this to him. I will not deny you. Then Mark 14, 32-42, this is the moment where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see that Jesus prays to the Father in great distress. So much so that the Bible tells us he's sweating drops of blood. And there three times he finds Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, the guys he said, hey, stand watch for me as I pray. Three times he finds them sleeping when they're simply supposed to be watching a moment, one of Jesus' biggest moments, they could not keep themselves awake. At this time, they're already checked out. They're already checked out. We already see here that Jesus is feeling a sense of aloneness. So now this brings us to our main text. In my Bible, it's headlined as the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. The betrayal and arrest of Jesus. We know now by looking into these preceding events that the betrayal has already begun. That's why I bring that up is because this is not the moment where it begins. This is the moment where it happens to come to a close. Jesus already feels a sense of aloneness. We know that the setting in this garden is tense. Jesus is there preparing to suffer and die. He knows what's coming. So follow along with me in verse 14, or 43 of chapter 14 as I read. We'll break it down as we go. It says, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Imagine this scenario with me for a moment. Close your eyes if you need to. Imagine you're one of the disciples and you're next to Jesus and you see coming at you is this crowd and we know by studying into this, this is not a, just a few men. Not even just a couple hundred men. It's thought to be known as up to a thousand men coming to arrest Jesus. Imagine this scenario. It says in other accounts, they have lanterns, they have swords, they have clubs coming to arrest your teacher innocent in the middle of the night it's no small thing that's a big event so we know this is as imagining it it's a crazy scene and then in verse 44 through 45 now the betrayer had given them a sign saying the one I will kiss is the man Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him and at once said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. 
So Judas, we know, possessed by the devil at this time, in this moment, has the audacity to say, teacher, the one I love, esteem, rabbi, and greets him with a kiss. And we know that the Greek definition of that kiss indicates it's no small peck. It's a lavish, intimate kiss, which to me shows that he knows what he was doing. Judas puts on a dramatic show through all of this of complete false affection. And through 46 and 49, they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but to let the scriptures be fulfilled. Beginning of this, is kind of a rather pathetic or foolish moment of Peter um, where during the arrest in his own arrogance, as if he can take this whole army, attacks one of the guards. What's interesting is this sword that he's carrying is actually meant um, and designed intricately to slice the throat of a man. So MacArthur's account um, what he teaches on this indicates that it may perhaps he went for the throat, the man ducked, and he hit the ear. Because who cuts off the ear? Who aims for an ear in battle? Which again just shows kind of the pathetic moment this is. And we know, um, excuse me, we know then after that Jesus then rebukes Peter of his arrogance. He reminds him, and the Gospel of Matthew says this, that he can command 12 legions of angels to come out and defend him. Jesus is the only one that could stop this moment. The only one. He doesn't need Peter. Satan's trying to throw his mustangs at him because he knows Jesus is the only one that can stop this. But he doesn't. He rather allows himself to be seized and arrested, thus fulfilling scripture. This then brings us to verse 50, the main event, if you will, the big theme where it's all been leading to, where the previous events discussed in chapter 14 come together, they're leading to. The moment where Jesus is completely abandoned. Verse 50 says, and they all left him and fled. All of them. They're gone. They're out of there. Doesn't mean they're 20 feet away hiding behind a tree watching. No, fled indicates they're gone. Nowhere to be seen. They're concerned for themselves. So we see first Judas fell away. Turned his back on Jesus. One out of twelve. Verse 50 indicates 
12 out of 12 fled. Then moving on, verse 51 through 52, I just want to touch this briefly. This is the moment where, actually I'll just read it, then break it down. It says, as and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. <laughs> this is kind of an awkward moment, an account of a young man streaking naked in the middle of the night. You're thinking, what in the world, why is that placed here? It does not make a lot of sense. Well, there is a lot of questioning and confusion about these two verses. Wondering, who is it? Well, is it Mark? A lot of people believe it's Mark writing an account about him himself because it's only mentioned in the Gospel of Mark. Others think, well, it could just be a local boy who lived close by, saw some commotion, came out, wrapped himself in his linen cloth, didn't know what he got himself into, ran away. But I would argue that it doesn't matter who this is. It doesn't matter who it is. See, these two verses, the more you read it, the more you break it down. The beautiful thing about them is that they paint an imagery of the disciples. And perhaps even you and me. Stripped of their pride. Stripped of their word. Falling away and abandoning Jesus. A moment where completely exposed. Jesus knew it. He knew what was going to happen. But they didn't. Until it happened. Completely exposed. I think it's easy to place the disciples on a podium and say, I wouldn't have ran away. I wouldn't have done that. Or even taking another step farther and putting Judas on a podium and saying, I absolutely would never have done that. Who would do that? That's terrible. The reality is we all fall away. In some sense, we all have turned our back on Jesus. The difference here that I want to point out is that the genuine believers and true followers of Jesus came back. They came back. 11 out of 12, they came back. We know that. As the text goes on, but Judas hung himself, a rather pathetic and gruesome death, where he fell among the rocks and his body gushed everywhere. See, the reality here is what's beautiful about this text is it shows that Jesus loves us so much that he didn't stop it. He endured the complete abandonment of his friends, feeling completely alone, and then later, even worse, the abandonment of his father on the cross. For sake. I want you to think about that for a moment. Easter is this weekend. We get a moment to think about that, to meditate on that. These events as they're happening, Jesus is the only one that could have stopped. 
and he didn't. As everyone turned their back on him and ran away, he went utterly alone to the cross. Utterly alone. But he was still obedient to the end. See, he will never let his sheep who he knows be snatched from his hands. Again, that's showing his great love for us. See, no matter what we do, he won't let us slip slip through the cracks. John 17, 12 says, in reference to his disciples, Jesus is saying to the Father, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Interesting fact about that title, the son of destruction, the only other time in the Bible that is used is in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 in reference to the Antichrist. Two times in the Bible, son of destruction. Judas and the Antichrist. Not company you want to belong to. But he says that scripture might be fulfilled. He then says soon after in John 18, 9b, of those whom you gave me, Lord, I have lost not one. He's praying to the Father, of those you gave me, I have lost not one. See, this is encouraging, but it also indicates that Jesus actually never knew Judas. Even though Judas knew Jesus, he lived with him, lived life with him. He knew Jesus well, but he never belonged to Jesus. He never gave him his heart. Judas never fully got it. He just went through the motions, faking it the whole way. See, now as I was thinking of this, I sat in these seats. I walked these halls. I sat and I played in this gym. I've been where you guys are at right now, not that long ago. And sadly, I've seen many friends, many times, just go through the motions here. It's easy to do at a place like Nebraska Christian. You think, well, I can just kind of walk, walk through it, get what I want out of it, look good from the outside. Like I said, these friends that I've seen, they know the trivia. Perhaps you do. They know who Jesus Christ is. Perhaps you know a lot about Jesus Christ. But Jesus doesn't know them. No, they haven't given their hearts to him. They figured the whole way. I want to think about, I want you to think about that for a moment. Is that you? Does that sound familiar? If it is, think about what you are doing here. Do you understand why we need Jesus? Think to the disciples. He said, I won't, I won't turn my back on you, Jesus. They all fled. But he went obedient to the cross, showing this is why you need me. Think about it. Do you understand why you need Jesus? If that's you, repent. Seek counsel. See, we are not enough. We're not enough. 
Don't just go through the motions here. Take advantage of your opportunity at Nebraska Christian. See, when I think back at my time at Nebraska Christian, I realize I'm a lot more grateful for Nebraska Christian after I left. There's not a place like this. Take advantage of it. And for the rest of you, here's the truth. For genuine believers, followers of Christ, we will all fall away and turn our backs on Jesus at times. That's the reality. But the encouraging thing that if Jesus truly knows you, he will never lose you. You won't slip through the cracks. Look at the other 11 disciples. They came back. They came back. True followers of Christ always at some point come back to Jesus. Think about that. What great news that is. So as I close, I want to close with a quote from R.C. Sproul. He says, the issue is not, do you know Jesus? The issue is, does Jesus know you? Do you belong to him? Have you given him your heart? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity. Again, I thank you for this time with this, the schools, and the student body and staff and God, I pray that anything I said that was not rooted in the word go in one ear and out the other. God, I pray that we would be able to apply these truths to our lives. Thank you so much that as followers in Christ, you'll never lose us. But I pray for those others, if something hit them in the heart, that be convicted, be challenged, to deeply evaluate ourselves Have I truly given my heart to Christ? Does he actually know me? Do I belong to him? It's no small matter. Lord, so I pray all these things in your name. You're so good to us. We thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Thank you for Easter event and Easter weekend coming up. I pray that we would be able to meditate on that and praise and honor and glorify you for what Jesus did for us. God, you're so good. Amen.